Well, I invite you to turn to our passage this morning. It's uh, 2 Corinthians 7. If you're looking at the Black Bible, it's page 967. 967. 2 Corinthians 7. Look at verses 2 through 16. Returning to our study of 2 Corinthians, uh, good to remember that Paul's writing to this, uh, this church in Corinth in the midst of a very complicated relationship with them. Uh, the, the most recent uh, events in their relationship is that Paul has sent them uh, this letter, this letter that we don't have, uh, but we know of it from, from 2 Corinthians, this letter that was a letter of challenge and in rebuke because they they hadn't dealt with sin and it was and it was festering among them and Paul writes this letter of challenge and rebuke and and uh, uncertain of how they're going to receive it but then he receives word from his his coworker Titus uh, who has visited the church uh, Titus comes back to Paul and reports that they've received this letter of rebuke really well and they're convicted by it and turning from their sin and now Paul writes back to them Second Corinthians. Uh, to, to encourage them further and further heal their relationship. So as we're reading, kind of look for hints of all of that. His, his letter of rebuke and Titus's report back, and, and you start to see what Paul is saying to us here. Let's read together. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 2 through 16. Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one, and we have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, uh, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within but God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, uh, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, uh, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see uh, that that letter grieved you though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For I see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. Uh, at every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. Uh, and besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boasts I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. 
But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. Uh, and his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, we, we pray that your word would be that light to our feet, that lamp to our path. We pray that we might see with, with clarity because your spirit uh, is speaking, uh, using the word to bring life and encouragement to your own. Uh, we do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wonder if you've ever thought about your walk with the Lord thought about your Christian life, and then said to yourself, you know what I need a little bit more of? I need more grief. I need more sorrow. I need a little bit more sadness. That would really help my Christian life. Did you ever think that? Probably not. Uh, maybe, maybe let's ask, ask it this way. Uh, do we tend to assume that mature Christians are marked off by how happy they are. That, that happiness is a, is a mark of Christian maturity. Uh, or, flip it around, uh, do we tend to assume that, that grief, sadness, sorrow, that's a sign of weakness, of spiritual immaturity? Um, maybe, maybe even when I ask that question, oh, Ever think to yourself, you know, I could use some more grief. I wonder if you, your immediate reaction was, you know what, I actually have plenty of grief already. Uh, and, and maybe I, you, you followed that up with, I have plenty of grief and I already feel guilty about it. I already feel like, like the grief in, in my heart is a sign of my spiritual weakness. Uh, well, one of the features of this chapter that really really kind of jumped out at me, there's a lot here, uh, and, and we have too much, we can't do everything. One of the features that really jumped out at me as I studied this passage is how often Paul talks about grief and sorrow and talks about it as if he viewed it as an essential part of the Christian life. Not all there is to the Christian life, but an essential piece. As, as if not a sign of, of spiritual weakness necessarily, but actually part of, of the mature Christian walk. That, that's such a foreign notion to us. It's, it's, it's worth meditating on. It's worth considering. And it actually helps us work our way through the passage for the most part. Uh, so let's do that. Let's look at, at uh, Paul's view of grief in the Christian life. We could call it essential grief. And, um, and begin by talking about how he talks about grief in the midst of relationships, uh, how, how grief is this essential feature of real love, of real love. So Paul begins our passage, he's urging the Corinthians to open their hearts to him, uh, and then he, and he reiter uses it to reiterate how much he loves them, how he's opened his heart to them. He says, verse 3, you are in our hearts. Uh, in verse 4, he speaks about his great pride in them. Right, his connection of heart. Right, clearly, uh, he he loves them deeply, deeply. 
Uh, and it's precisely because he loves them so much uh, that grief and sorrow in his life are increased. Did, did you catch that? How, how he describes that? Okay, so look at look at verse six. Or excuse me, back up to verse five. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And so here, here's what he, he's, he's describing here. So Paul makes this journey uh, to Macedonia. And then when he gets there, he says, I was afflicted at every turn. And it's not just, not just hardships from the outside, though that was part of it, you know, persecutions for the gospel perhaps, but he talks about internal uh, affliction. He says, fear within is this internal affliction. Uh, Hardship, difficulty, sorrow, grief. Uh, well, why? He speaks verse 6 about being downcast. Why was he downcast when he arrived in Macedonia? Well, you kind of need to get the, get the whole picture, uh, right? Paul had sent this letter to the, the Corinthians, this letter that we don't have, but we know of it from here. He sends this letter to the Corinthians, this letter of, of rebuke, of challenge, and he doesn't know how they're going to respond. Uh, he doesn't know whether they're going to uh, respond well and turn from their sin, or whether they're going to completely reject Paul com altogether, completely walk away from the Lord. He, does, he just doesn't know. He sent this letter, and then it's just this long period of silence. Uh, and, and he's waiting to hear how they've responded. That's, that was the mission of Titus. Titus was going to go, visit the church, and then report back to Paul. We actually learn earlier in 2 Corinthians that Paul started off in a different city. He was in Troas, a different region. He was in Troas, and that was where he was supposed to meet Titus, but Titus didn't show up there. And back in chapter 2, Paul says that he was so grieved in Troas that here was God opened this door of opportunity for the gospel, and he says, like, I couldn't take advantage of it. Uh, I couldn't take advantage of this gospel opportunity because my heart was was so afflicted, so he travels from Troas to Macedonia, hoping to meet Titus there, and he still he has to wait and wait, and he's burdened and he's grieved. What's going on? Finally, he's comforted uh, in his downcast state because, because Titus, Titus comes and brings him the good news that the Corinthians have responded really well. Uh, but, but you start to get the idea. Why is Paul so downcast and afflicted within? It's because of his love for them. It's because he cares so much about them. His heart is so knit with theirs uh, that, that the, the burden of not knowing how they're going to respond in this really key moment in their life as a church, uh, right, it, it burdens him. And so his, his, his grief, his sadness, his sorrow is not a sign of his spiritual weakness. It's actually a sign, a testimony to his great love for them. And that's true of, that's true of love in general. This, this side of heaven, to love, is to grieve. Isn't that true? This side of heaven, in a fallen world, uh, to love someone, biblically, really, is to open your heart up to being grieved. Uh, there's, there's really no way around it. Uh, to open your heart up to someone uh, means that, that you're going to be affected when they struggle with sin. It's going to burden you. To open your heart to someone means uh, that you're going to be you're going to be weighed down when they suffer. You're going to suffer when they suffer. 
uh, to open your heart to someone means that you're going to mourn when they depart this world. Right? This side of heaven, to love, is to grieve. It, it, it made, made me think of the, of the lyrics of the old pop song, If I Never Loved, I Never Would Have Cried. You know that song? It's Simon and Garfunkel's I Am a Rock. Uh, Paul Simon writes these really insightful but kind of haunting lyrics. Uh, are you familiar with it? So he uses this, it's this uh, picture of, of a, an individual who's had this really hard relationship and broken relationship. And, and he comes to the conclusion that the way he's going to stay safe is, is be a rock, be, be impervious to, to, to any kind of nothing, nothing, nothing's going to touch me, uh, right? So if I never loved, I never would have cried. I'm a, I'm a rock. I'm an island. He goes on to say, uh, hiding in my room, safe within my womb, I touch no one. No one touches me. I'm a rock. I'm an island. Yeah, he, 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 he's onto something there. The only way to escape grief in a fallen world uh, is to close your heart off. Now, to close it off from, from, from loving others, to be like an impervious rock, an island, uh, away, far away from people. Uh, otherwise, to love is, is to grieve. Uh, to love is to cry. Um, we, I think we tend to assume that the, that the polar opposite of love is hate. And there's a sense in which that's true. Uh, but, but in many ways, the, the opposite of love, uh, the, the dangerous enemy of love, is indifference. Isn't that true? The, the, the places, uh, the people that we tend to hurt the most in our life, uh, in our world, the people we tend to hurt the most is not usually with active hatred, but with indifference. Right? Close our heart off. I'm just not going to feel it. I'm just going to be a rock towards this, towards this person. Um, maybe, maybe you can think of a, a relationship, somebody close to you, and you, you're just tempted to just, oh, just wall that off and not and not feel it. And if, and and there are there are places, of course, where where healthiness means good boundaries. Uh, but 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 we can also unbiblically do it, uh, where there is a person God's actually called us to love, and and we just walled it off. Or maybe, so there's a challenge there, but there's also, I think, a real comfort here. Because probably you've, you've seen this kind of grief in your life. Uh, grief, sorrow, because you've loved someone. And, and you might have assumed, and you might still assume, that that grief and sorrow is because you are weak, or you are spiritually immature, when actually, it's a testimony uh, of love in your life, of spiritual maturity in your life, right? Uh, it's, it's a comfort to us. And, of course, all of this is a reminder of how Christ loves us. That's ultimately why we love. We love because he loved us first. And we've seen this throughout 2 Corinthians. The, the, the core of the Christian life is bound together with, with Jesus. And isn't this how Jesus loves us? Think of, think of Jesus coming into the world. Um, he doesn't exactly live a carefree, happy life. 
Uh, you probably could describe Jesus in many different ways, but probably you wouldn't use the word happy a lot. Uh, it, Isaiah calls him a man of sorrows. Uh, yeah, because he loves sinners in a fallen world. Uh, we, we read of Jesus beholding Jerusalem, and what does he do? As he beholds Jerusalem and, and her people, he weeps. Or maybe you think of Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend, and, and there he is, Lazarus has died, and remember, he weeps. And, and do you remember what the what the, the other mourners say when they see Jesus there weeping, wailing? Remember what they say, what they respond? They say, see how he loved him. Right? They, they take in Jesus' tears and they say, see how he loved him. It was a testimony to his love. And of course, uh, for Jesus, that's not just Lazarus. He calls us friend in his, in his grace. Right? Uh, he's loved us. Uh, Isaiah says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yeah, all the way to the cross. Uh, all the way to the cross. You, you look at the cross as Jesus, as Jesus bears our sin, and, and the one thing you most definitely do not see at the cross is indifference. Praise the Lord for that. It's love. It's his love for us that, that drives him to bear the ultimate of pain and sorrow, all to rescue. Uh, and it's most certainly not spiritual weakness in Jesus, but it's the height of the testimony of his love and grace. And of course, that's our hope, uh, that he loved us. And then we remember that that is the Jesus we're connected to. That's the, uh, that's the spirit that we have in us. That we can, we can love others, even though it's hard and painful, and we can open ourselves up to that uh, because he loved us first, because we're safe in him. So, uh, receiving grief is an essential part of love. But also, rightly understood, bringing grief is an essential part of love. Now, we got to understand this one carefully, so, uh, so let's, let's look uh, at verses 8 and 9, try to understand this with care. So Paul says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that, you're the, that, I see that, that letter grieved you, uh, though only for a while, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Uh, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. So Paul sends this letter to the Corinthians, this lost letter that for us. Uh, they get it, and, and it grieves them. It, it causes them pain, sorrow. Uh, and, and it's the pain of, of, of conviction of their sin, of sadness over, over their sin, they're convicted, they're ashamed of their sin. But Paul says it's a, it's a good type of grief. Uh, there, is a, there is a bad type of grief over sin, and we'll get to this in a minute, but for them it was, it was a good grief, and it, it led them towards turning from their sin and ultimately healing their relationship with Paul. So, uh, Paul, so you, but you get the idea. Paul did something, sending them this letter, Paul did something, and it caused them grief. And, and that wasn't Paul hating them or Paul being indifferent to them. That was actually Paul loving them. 
Love meant he would cause them a measure of grief. It was an act of love. Uh, About a month ago, I had some dental work done. And let's be honest, that guy hurt me. It hurt. Um, but, but I, I've been going to him almost, for almost 40 years now. I know him well. He knows me. He knows our family very, very well. And I know he genuinely cares. And so the, and so the discomfort that was, that was given, uh, wasn't, wasn't this act of hatred, uh, or harm, uh, but, but this act of care, this act of love. Then he knew if he didn't do this, worse things would come, worse pain would come. Uh, and, and it came out in part in, in the manner in which he did it. Right? So yeah, there was a measure of discomfort that came up what he did, what he did. But he wasn't, he wasn't just like random. He wasn't, you know, flailing syringes about and drills and just kind of poking everywhere. Right? It, he, it was careful, measured, precise. Gentle, slow, all those things, so that it was it was just to accomplish the purpose it had to. Uh, and and that's part of how the, the love was demonstrated. And you see that kind of care here in here in Paul. Uh, he says, verse 8, yeah, I, I made you grieve, and I don't regret it. So he says, I, I, I do regret it. Um, then he says, verse 9, I, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, right? He's saying, I'm not, I'm not taking pleasure in causing sorrow, uh, but, but, but I'm, I'm doing something. And notice how he can say uh, in the same passage what he says in verse 2. He can say it with a straight face. Uh, we've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of, of no one. Right? Here's, uh, here's Paul. Like he, he's, he's saying the way in which he did it it, it didn't cause harm, uh, not not long term uh, by any means. He didn't take advantage of them. He, he didn't he didn't uh, harm them, corrupt them. Uh, you might actually even remember that Paul found out about this sin on a former visit. Uh, so before he sent this letter of rebuke, he actually found out about the sin when he was there in Corinth, but he chose not to address it at that moment. Uh, instead, he pulled back. Uh, and, and left, and then decided to write the letter. So you get this, this picture of Paul. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's careful in his, in his rebuke, right? In his causing of them of grief. Uh, he's not just kind of flailing about, jabbing everywhere. Uh, but he's, okay, well, what's the best way that I can challenge them? The best timing. And even that, I'm going to do carefully. I'm not doing it because I enjoy it, but I'm thinking of, of how to love them. You put that all together, and you get this, this same picture. Paul, uh, careful, measured, thoughtful, acting in a way that he doesn't wrong anyone. So it's this careful act of love, even though it, even though it causes grief. And loving others well uh, in a fallen world, <laughs> loving sinners, will mean from time to time uh, having to cause grief, do things which cause grief. You have a Christian friend, or, or your child, or your spouse, uh, or a brother and sister in the church. You see them going in the wrong direction, stuck in a pattern of going in the wrong direction. And, and, and God calls us to love one another enough to be able to challenge one another and rebuke one another. 
uh, not as an act of hatred, uh, but as an act of love. Uh, of course, it's going to change the way you do it, right? It's not going to be just kind of flailing drills about and stabbing everything. It's going to be this careful, okay, what's the, what's the best timing, the best way, the best uh, language, like a careful, a careful doctor who knows just the way to do it gently so that the, so that the, the, the discomfort is going somewhere, is productive, is, uh, is actually used by the Lord. So that's got to do it in the right way. Um, uh, kids, you know your parents love you, right? Right? You know they love you. Of course they do. Of course they do. But sometimes your parents have to say no. Right? You want something, and you really want it badly, but you have to. But they have to say no, and it makes you sad. Uh, or maybe, maybe that your parents see you doing something that's wrong. They see you doing something that's sinful. Uh, and there's and there's bad consequences, discipline because of uh, because of that that wrong thing, and it and it's not fun, right? It's it's sad. Is that because your parents don't love you? No, they do love you, uh, and that's why they're 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 willing to do hard things like saying no and and disciplining because they they love you so much they want to turn you in the right way. Uh, and, and so it's a good reminder that even when your parents make you sad, they still they still love you. Of course, the challenge for us for parents is make sure we're doing it in a way that's really that's really actually loving them, like like Paul is is leading us here. And of course, this is how God loves us, right? There's that foundation of God's love for us in Christ. This is where we get the Christian life. Uh, isn't this God loving us? Uh, doesn't doesn't He send His Spirit? Uh, into our lives, the, the spirit that convicts the world of sin, right? That, that's not a fun conviction. Yeah, it's because he loves us. It's because he wants us to see the danger in which we're in, uh, right? It's grace that first teaches our heart to fear, and then grace our fears really right? The, the spirit convicts us. He loves us enough uh, to, to cause us a measure of grief, carefully, gently, uh, like, a, like a, a doctor of the soul, uh, he does it in order to open our eyes to where life is found, in order that we be grieved into repenting, which leads us to our next point. Uh, grief is an essential part of love. It's also an essential part of repentance. And you see Paul explain that in verses 9 and 10, uh, the role of grief in repentance. So let's read 9 and 10 again. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So Paul says that the goal in causing them grief was that they would repent. Uh, repentance. Uh, it, 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 the, the language can be used for, for soldiers, Soldiers who are marching and then do an about-face, right? Going one way and then turning completely around to go the other way. Uh, that's, that's really what Bible thinks of as repentance. You're going one way towards sin uh, and all its ugliness, and then when you repent, you turn around. You do an about-face away from that sin and toward God and toward his mercy and forgiveness. Uh, it's that it's that about face in our in our lives, and really, it's a it's a lifelong activity. It's not just something you do at the 
very beginning of the Christian life. Uh, the whole Christian life, God's going to show you sin, and the call is, by his grace and in his strength, to, to do that about face. Turn from that sin and turn to God and turn to uh, his mercy. And, and Paul says that, that grief is actually a critical component of that, uh, of that, of that repentance, a, a kind of a real sadness over, over sin uh, before the Lord. Uh, a real sadness over, over sin. Now, it's, Paul quickly follows it up. It's got to be the right kind of grief. Right? There, is a, there is a wrong kind, a worldly kind of grief that actually doesn't lead to true repentance in life. It leads to death. Um, maybe maybe the, the, the best Old Testament example of this would be, uh, would be Pharaoh in the days of Moses. Kids, you remember Pharaoh? Uh, there, there's, there's Moses. He goes to Egypt and tells Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh has been so awful to, to God's people. But Pharaoh says, no, not going to do it. Uh, right, stuck in sin. And God brings, brings this harsh judgment. <clears throat> Remember all those plagues? Flies and gnats and boils and hail. And, and there are several points, you might remember, where Pharaoh repents. Uh, he, he's sad, right? He, ah, I should have done that. Come get Moses back in here. Actually, one, one time, uh, he even uses these words. Uh, he says, this time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord. Right? Sounds like genuine repentance. Uh, he he's, sounds like he's really pained and sad, and, and but it's not a godly grief. How do you know? Well, as soon as the as soon as the plague ends, he hardens his heart and ignores God again. Uh, it, it's not a grief that leads him to true repentance and true life. It's this worldly sorrow that Paul talks about. It's the, uh, the worldly sorrow of, of, of the politician who's really contrite and sad because he got caught, uh, because it ruined his career, and now he's really, really sad about the consequences of, of his sin. Of course, that's not something that's just confined to politicians. We do that too. We can be really sad about our sin just because we got caught in it, or because it made a mess of, uh, of, our, of our relationships. Well, well that sorrow is, is, is not the kind of sorrow Paul's talking about as that which is godly grief. There's more to it, because that kind of sorrow is really, well, it's still self-centered. Uh, it, it, it's, it's just a self-centeredness in a different form. Uh, it's self-pity as opposed to uh, acting in, in, in self, uh, self-service. But see, godly grief is very different. Uh, godly grief is very different. Actually, uh, the phrase there that's translated godly grief, even more literally, it's, it's grief according to God uh, or grief with respect to God. In other words, it's a very God-centered grief. Uh, it's, it's not focused on, on me and, and how this made my life a mess, but on, on God and how our, how our sin is, is before him. Right, we read and sang from, from Psalm 51, David, after his, his uh, awful sin. And remember what he, what he says in that, in, that, uh, in that psalm. He goes before the Lord and says, says, it's against you and you only have I sinned. Right? Even though he really did sin against other people and certainly made a whole mess of his life, awful consequences. 
But when he, when he really boils it down to where, where his heart settles, the, the big thing that's on his mind is, I've sinned against you, Lord. I've done what's evil in your sight. And that's what, and that's what grieves him. What he speaks of is having a broken spirit, broken, contrite heart, because he's grieving over the ugliness of his sin before the God who has loved him. Um, it's a grief uh, that uh, that's connected, centered on the Lord. Uh, if you're trying to spot the difference between a godly grief and worldly grief, if you're trying to spot the difference, uh, you could ask yourself this question. Is this grief causing me to run to God or run away from God? That's There's a, there's a key way you can spot the difference. Uh, is your sorrow over your sin having you run to God or away from God? Uh, this this shows up in in one of the one of the great uh, great examples from the New Testament. The difference between Judas and Peter, right? Judas and Peter, both of them sin horribly against the Lord Jesus when he's arrested. Right? Judas, of course, betraying him and and Peter denying him with curses. Uh, they're both quite awful sins. Both individuals feel really, really sad after they sin, after it kind of dawns on them what they've they've done. They really both feel awful. They're both grieved and sorry that they did what they did. But for one, they had him running away from God, right? Judas runs from God, right? Ends up committing suicide, running away from the Lord. Whereas Peter, he runs to the Lord. You might remember, after, after he goes out weeping for his sin, the, the very next time we see Peter uh, is, is that Easter Sunday morning when he hears the tomb's empty. And what does he do? He runs. He runs. Where, where's Jesus? Okay. He's running to the Lord he sinned against. Or maybe, there, maybe think of that scene in John 21. After the resurrection, Peter's fishing, and he's, he recognizes Jesus on the shore. Right? The last time he chatted with Jesus, or you know, talked about he was denying Jesus. Now all of a sudden he throws off his clothes, jumps in the water, swims. I gotta gotta run to Jesus. Uh, and then he's, of course, he's restored and then uh, to the Lord. But but you see the see the key difference? Uh, grief over sin, okay, well, where where does that what direction does that grief take you? Does it have you running away from the Lord or running running to the Lord? It's a uh, a grief that leads to repentance uh, that God is speaking of here. And it's there that we find true comfort. Right? Because part of the reason why we, in our sorrow over sin, uh, run to the Lord uh, is because we know who he is. We know he's the God who comforts the downcast. He's the God who forgives uh, it's in view of his mercy that we turn away from our sin and turn to him. We know what kind of God he is. Uh, he's the God who comforts the downcast. Uh, and that's a great place to close. Uh, the God who comforts. You, you do take in this passage, and you see Paul talking quite a bit about grief uh, and sorrow and sadness and speaking of it as if it has this really essential role in the Christian life. It's a key part of our, of our love for others in a fallen world. Uh, it's a key part of our, our turning from sin and our lifelong uh, walk of, of repentance. Uh, grief, sadness, it's a real part of the, of the Christian life. But, but Paul also demonstrates throughout this passage 
that grief isn't this static quality that just stays, but it has a direction that's going towards comfort. It's going towards comfort. Uh, and, and, and Paul, you see, gets examples of this. Right? He's comforted because he gets this good news from Titus that they've, they've, really, they've really repented, verse 6. And so he's comforted by this. And, and, and God will do that in our lives as we, as we see the, the heaviness and the hardship, whether it's we're, we're loving others and that brings grief into our lives or, or we're dealing with our sin. God will bring, expect him to bring comfort uh, in the here and now. Right? As we see him do good things, uh, as, he, as he brings that message of the gospel and forgiveness to our hearts, uh, he brings comfort, he brings uh, the joy of our salvation. Uh, that's the gospel. But of course, uh, in part we get that comfort in this world, but then there's also this great promise that Jesus will return. And, and if, you, if you look at how the Bible talks about his return, one of the key themes is he's going to return to comfort his people. Right? What does Revelation say? He, he, Jesus arrives to do, but, but wipe every tear from our eyes. Uh, to, to arrive and establish this new heavens and new earth, and, and how is it described? But as this place where there is no mourning or crying or pain. Yeah, that was the old world. Uh, but this new world that God brings, it's hard for us to even imagine it sometimes. It doesn't have any of that. Because he's the God uh, who comforts the downcast. Right? That's, how, that's how Paul describes it in verse 6. The God who comforts the downcast. Right? It's, it's who he is. Right? It defines his heart and, and, and his being and what he does. Uh, he comforts his people. Uh, as they turn to him, uh, there is the comfort of forgiveness uh, and mercy, but also that ultimate comfort of heaven, which is which is to come. So, so yes, grief, sadness, pain, it is a part of the Christian life. We, we, we shouldn't be surprised by it. We, we shouldn't think uh, that it's this sign of, of our weakness uh, or immaturity. Uh, but, but also remember that, that it has a direction with this loving Father that we have. Uh, the direction of a God who, who comforts the downcast. Or maybe we, maybe we think of that language that Jesus uses. This is a good place to end. Uh, Blessed are you who mourn. You'll be comforted. That's good news from the Savior. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would show us the great love of our Savior for us. Lord, in the midst of joys and the midst of sorrows of this fallen world, show us his great love. Remind us of the cross. Remind us of the resurrection and that life to come. Lord, all for your love for us. Do strengthen us to be able to love one another better, uh, to, to uh, take in that call to live in light of Christ, uh, but, but do that by showing us him again and again, that we might find joy and comfort in his, uh, in his work. In you, our Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.